Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Amen. Well, we've been in a series we started last week called It Is Finished, the declarative statement that Jesus made as he concluded his mission on the cross, as he conquered sin completely once and for all, and he made a statement, it's finished. He had completed everything the Father laid out for him to do. I'm telling you, I'm obsessed with the thought that when I've breathed my last breath, when I come to the end of this journey of life, I too could say like Jesus, it's finished. I did everything that God laid out for me to do. I want to live on purpose. I want to live with mission. I want to live without letting moments slip by. I don't want to just exist. I want to live. How about you? I want to live that way that that we could say it's finished. And I'll tell you this, it's not finished yet. Like the journey, the mission God has for you is not yet concluded. He's still got more for you. In fact, I feel even in these next few moments, he has something he wants to instill in your life, impart to you and help you to see in a new and clear way. If you'd give me these few moments, I'm going to pray that that God would shake us up, stir us up. In fact, the the title of today's message is, I'm shook. Come on, can you say that? I'm shook. I'm shook in a good way. Maybe you've used that term, maybe you've heard that term when, when someone's kind of like wowed, awed, or amazed. I'm sort of shook. Maybe it's when someone's kind of put on through their heels a little bit, like, didn't see that coming. Well, I want to share a passage from Scripture that speaks to that type of a feeling, that type of a reality. It's what is often called to, referred to as Palm Sunday. In fact, that's this Sunday. Right here, right now, today, is Palm Sunday. We celebrate the week before Easter, the triumphal entry, as Jesus made his way for the the last time into the city of Jerusalem, ultimately the visit that would lead towards him going to the cross on Calvary. And I wanted to say it one more time, I'm shook. Now, now maybe you've been to church for a while and you're like, oh yeah, the, the, the Palm Sunday one, I know this one. Okay, you might know this one, but why don't we allow God to speak to us afresh and anew? It's an incredible story. In fact, the, the Palm Sunday story is told in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all saw fit to include this in their writing. In, in that way, it makes it both a, a simple and a complex message to speak simple because you kind of know where where I'm going, complex because it's possible or easy for us to kind of gloss over the things that we've heard before. Why not today we look at it with fresh eyes, with a soft heart, if we're capable to do so. Let me set the scene for you. Uh, At this point in Jesus' ministry, he's come to a place where he's gained incredible popularity. Now, now he started in a bit of obscurity coming from Nazareth. He was a carpenter. And as he made his way through the, the region of Galilee, he gathered to himself some fishermen and some tax collectors and various people who became his disciples. He, he taught, he, he performed miracles. Kind of everywhere he went, people were awed and amazed. Over and over, you see the gospel writers saying, and then the people were amazed. The people were in awe. And the people saw the signs and the wonders. And they began to say things like, he's a, a prophet. Or maybe he's, maybe he's Elijah. Like maybe the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament who just went up into heaven in a chariot of fiber. Maybe he's descended again. This, this is the type of person we've just never seen before, never heard before. Jesus amazed the simple and, and the scholar. Jesus amazed those who were on the inside crowd of culture and those who were very much 
on the fringes. He showed compassion for the, for the weak and the weary, the least, the last, the lost. Like there was no one outside of Jesus' care, love, and compassion. And as his popularity grew, it actually came to a place where where the inner circle, the the movers and the shakers, the people who kind of led the culture in that time, they were part of a, a religious sect called and referred to as the Sanhedrin or the teachers of the law. They'd come to a place where they said, this is not good. This guy here, he's got so much popularity. He's actually increased his popularity above ours. And people are, are starting to listen to him first. And there was one man, his name was Caiaphas. He was a priest and he had made this statement in John chapter 11. It's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perishes. At this point, what he was saying murderously of Jesus is it, it would be important for us to get rid of Jesus because he's leading in a way that is away from us and we feel like we represent life. As a result, for a number of months, probably history would say, the best we could tell, Jesus had been in a little more obscurity. He'd been a little more conscious and even cautious about the way that he interacted. And instead of going right into the heart of cities, he kind of stayed on the outside of cities and people came to him. The reason is it just wasn't the right time. He said, it's just not my time yet. It's not my time to complete the work the Father has laid out for me. And so he was slow. What a patience that we see and observe. I don't know about you. Sometimes when I have clear vision, I just want to run after it as fast as I can and sort of forget about the timing piece, but not Jesus. He's conscious and he's careful and he's aware. So in that setting, in that field, we, we come into this story, the triumphal entry, which occurred during a time called the Passover. Now, the Passover was the most significant time in the year. This was the time when people from all over the region would come and gather in the city. The historian Josephus speaks of that time and said it would be normal for at least two million people to have been gathered in the city of Jerusalem. The ancient city, we're talking a few thousand years ago, multiple millions of people coming and making their way. So as we set the stage for what was happening behind the scenes of the, the Easter week, it's a crowd of people, Jesus growing in prominence, the religious elite kind of hating on him, him being in obscurity, but now making his way into the city. Why don't we start in the book of Matthew? We'll look at Matthew's account and we'll also look at Luke's. Even though both Mark and John also mention it, why don't we just read these two today? Matthew chapter 21 Starting at verse 1, we'll read this. How do you like the behind the scenes? Can you hear the music in the back? I don't know if you've been hearing the giggling in the back. We like to not only worship while we work, but we're also having a good time. Check this out. It says this, As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage and the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them. And bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say to them, the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road as well. The crowds that went ahead of them uh, followed and shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. 
When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The whole city was stirred. The other word for, for this original Greek language is the whole city was shook. Now, James Bond would say shaken and stirred are different things, but in this context, the exact same thing. The city was stirred up or the city was shook. Why don't we look over now to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Oh, did I say Matthew? Luke chapter 19. I'm sorry. Here we go. Luke chapter 19. Hey, the behind the scenes view is just a little bit rougher than normal. Check this out. Verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead and he said, go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you'll find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead of him went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said, why are you untying the colt? Then they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on, on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When they came near to the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to, in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. As they approached Jerusalem and they saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. The day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They'll not leave one stone on another because you didn't recognize the time of God's coming to you. Two different accounts. You could look in Mark, you could look in John, you could see that they recorded as well. But I want to make a, a couple of quick observations of this story because it relates to us today as well as we receive Jesus as our conquering king. Now this entry was not unique of Jesus in every way. In fact, in that time, this was a Roman custom that when a general had been conquering in battle or significant in battle, they would make their way in a huge kind of procession just like this. Now, it was uh, specifically for generals who had led uh, an army that defeated at least 5,000 other soldiers. So we're talking like significant soldiers in battle. And they would come into the city of Rome or whatever capital city they were approaching. They would send all the loot ahead of them, the prisoners that they had captured and and then they would come approaching on a chariot encrusted in gold with the, the biggest stallions that they could find. And as they made their way into the center of the city, everyone cheering, then they would take prisoners that had been captured and they would throw them maybe to lions or put them in gladiator type settings where they would fight it out. It was gruesome. It was brutal. It was a way to honor warriors. So Jesus takes this custom, but, but he makes it his own. He gives us kind of a behind the scenes of the way he sees things. His victory is not championed by chariots and stallions. His victory is actually modeled in humility. He's riding on the colt of a donkey, a, a small 
animal that had just given birth to a, a, a child that had never born any sort of way. There's Jesus. Have you ever seen someone riding on a donkey? It's not the most graceful thing ever. Jesus is humble. He's humble. And he's modeling gentleness. Now to the, the common person, he was essentially saying this, I'm a different kind of warrior. I'm a different kind of king. I'm not here to, to bring division. I'm not here to bring destruction. And I'm not here to lord over people their weakness. Instead, I'm coming humbly to serve. But to the scholar, Jesus was making a statement, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that God promised you would come that would bring you peace in heaven. I'm the one that could bring you peace with God. He was making a statement out of uh, the book of Zechariah chapter 9, saying that the Messiah would come on the colt, the foal of a donkey. So to the commoners, they're like, this guy's awesome. He's so popular. He's so significant. And he comes humbly. He's not trying to lord it over us. To the scholar, Jesus was going, guys, it's happening. I'm the Messiah. You, you better recognize right now that we probably shouldn't be enemies. You need to understand the message that God is sending your way. The love of the Father being expressed in the life of the Son. What I notice in this is, is a few things that I want us to draw some conclusions today. Number one, their worship was the sacrifice of what was common, but it was also costly. Their worship to Jesus was ascribing to him his, his worth. And, and just like you and I today, when we worship, we're saying this is worth it. You're worthy. They took their cloaks. Now, it would have been common probably to only have one. The one you were wearing was the one that you had. And even though it was common, it came with a cost. They pulled off their cloak. They laid it down in an act of worship saying, Jesus, I don't even want your feet to have to touch the ground. I want to serve you in this way. Not only was it their cloaks, but it was also palm branches. Now, palms were a significant part of the economy of the region. And this time of year was the season when those palms were still in sapling phase. So to cut off the branches before they had matured was actually to make a sacrifice of future earnings. It was saying like first fruits, the, the beginning, the promise of what is ahead. God, I just want to honor you with the best that I have. And so they were cutting off branches that could later have produced them more significant wealth. But St. Jesus, you're worthy of it all. You're worth it. In this region, the palm was so significant that that uh, under the, the Maccabees and then going forward, the, the palm was the inscription on their coin. There was value to it. They were valuing Jesus. They were putting value on who he was in the same manner. It's time for us to worship. You know, one of the ways that we don't worship or the things that keep us from worship is simply worry. Where there's worry, there can be no worship. And where there's true, genuine worship, there can really be no worry. Because worry is saying of something, you are worth my attention. It is worth losing my peace and rest right now to worry about this thing. But in that moment, in that day, as Jesus approached them in peace, for everyone, they just said, even though it's common, even though it's costly, I want to show Jesus his worth in my eyes. I've told this story before, but, but really for me, it's been probably one of the most fitting in my life. I remember once preaching at a church in Tanzania on Mount Meru. 
And uh, it was so high up in the mountains, the elevation was significant enough, you kind of were short of breath. And not only were you short of breath because of that, but the beauty of the people, the beauty of the worship as we were gathered together in this small village, I truly was shook. And we were there and there was a time for giving. And, and instead of bringing coins or, or, or dollar bills, what was brought was common things. People were giving like avocados. Someone came and brought a shirt. There, there was an old gentleman came walking in with a couple of live chickens. Imagine that, passing the bucket around and he, he puts a chicken. He, everyone brought forward the things that they had as common as they were to honor God. Nobody was empty handed. Nobody was in, in a place where they were just observing, all engaged. Oh, to be a part of church that is just like that. And as the, the gathering ended, we, we came outside, everyone greeted one another and then the elders of the church began to say this, does anyone here need avocados? Does anyone here need a shirt? How, how about a chicken? Does anyone here need, need a chicken? And so they, were, they made uh, transactions with the common that had come and they were able to put value on what was given. It was unbelievable. It, it was like an auction setting, but completely covered in love and generosity. So people who had brought in something to the church were then also saying, well, I, I could use a shirt. I'd like to buy that shirt and value was placed back into that local community. It was a beautiful thing. I'm telling you today, you might be holding back from worship because you feel what you have is too common. There, there's nothing more unique than your voice being raised in worship. Or maybe you feel like it's too costly, but I'm telling you, there's nothing that compares to the cost of Jesus' life sacrifice for you and I. It's time that we worship and sacrifice in worship with what's common and what is costly. Second thing I want to point out is that in that setting, the Bible says they all worshipped. They all worshipped. Now, in a group that size, it, it must have been that some were having a bad day and some were having a better day. It must have been that some were, were experiencing victory in their life and others felt like they were experiencing the, some defeat. But in the presence of Jesus, it was great equalization taking place. None of that mattered. It was them honoring and worshipping Jesus for his worth. Like I said, where there is worship, there can be no worry. Where there is worry, there can be no worship. They all made the decision that we will be worshipers in this moment. And did you catch what, what it said in Luke's account? When, when those who are in that inner circle religiously are like, Jesus, you should be rebuking your disciples. They shouldn't be wasting palm branches on you. They shouldn't be laying down cloaks. Who do you think you are? And you should correct them for who they think you are. And Jesus says, well, if they don't worship me, even the rocks will cry out. In other words, his worth was not based on the, the opinion of the crowd. If they stopped, he would still be worth it all. So worthy, in fact, that the actual physical rocks would, would have to cry out because his worth was in their presence. It's an amazing thought that, that Jesus is not significant or worthy because we say he is. He is because who he is. It's us who miss out on the King of Kings when we don't show him that worth. Today, let's worship Jesus, all of us, all of us with our whole life, all of us with what is common and what is costly. Number three, I want us to notice this, that they praised Jesus for what he had already done. The foundation for worship was testimony of his faithfulness, what he had already done. He had already raised Lazarus from the dead. He had already healed Bartimaeus of his blindness. He had already seen Zacchaeus converted. 
And he was doing exactly the things he promised he would do in Luke chapter 4, that he would come to preach forgiveness to the captive, that he'd come to open blind eyes, and he'd come even to bring resurrection to those who had died. Jesus was just fulfilling what he promised he would do. He said, here, I'm going to do it. And then as he did it, they worshiped him, and he continued to let them in on the behind-the-scenes look of what it was to follow Jesus. He was completely and wholly sufficient. For some today, the greatest key for you and I uh, to unlocking worship in our life is to build on a foundation of gratitude. Gratitude for what God has already done. Maybe you've got to dig way back into your past, or maybe you could just take a moment and consider this morning waking up with oxygen in your lungs, with potentially a roof over your head, enough internet that you can be connected in this way, people who love you and care about you, and the intangible peace that comes in the presence of God. He's done so much. Worship for you and I is not us holding God ransom. Do something good and then you got my heart. It's God, you have my whole heart because of what you've already done. And then fourthly, the thing that I want us to see today, because this is where the cities that we live in get shook. They, they transition seamlessly from worship to intercession. You see that word Hosanna, if you've grown up in church like, like me, it's just kind of a fitting word to throw into a worship song. But quite literally, it was an imperative that meant save us. These people seeing the work that Jesus had already done in the life of Zacchaeus and Bartimaeus and, and uh, Lazarus, these seeing his resurrection power, his power over blindness, his power over you know the hardest of hearts in the life of Zacchaeus, seeing all this play out, they're saying, I now see in my own life a need. God, save me as well. Save me as well. Extend your salvation to me. You know, intercession and worship dovetail perfectly. As we worship God for what he's already done, we begin to have eyes to see what he's yet to do. And, and watch what happens. Worship becomes intercession. And intercession then seamlessly flows into evangelism. It says the whole city they lived in was stirred up or shook. And as the city was shook, the question that was asked was, who is this? You know, in my life and in your life, I think this would be the greatest testimony this Palm Sunday, that we would live with such abandoned worship, that worship would be a foundation leading us into intercession, saying, God, I need more of you in my life. I need your salvation in my city. And as intercession flows, that we would find an opportunity, a platform for evangelism, answering the questions, who is this? How does that play out? Here's how. Recognizing that Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is entering into the city that is our life, we begin to worship him with what's common and what's costly. Time, talent, treasure, our words, our thoughts, our meditations, the way we treat one another, the way we interact in the marketplace. We begin to say, I want to honor God in both common and costly ways, sacrificing to him because he is worthy. Now, now who? Just, just the leader? Just the pastor? No, everyone. All of us living in a way where God is honored. Where all I have is a, a cloak, but God, it's yours. All I have is a, a palm branch. It's got cost in the future. It's not worth much now, but God, it's yours. It's like saying, I got a little bit of time, but you're the Lord of all my time. I'm laying it down. And as we do that very thing, recognizing that instead of worry, 
we can worship, worshiping for him for what he's already done, interceding for our city. There will be moments in time where people say, well, who is it that gives you this hope? Where is it that you find this peace? You know, you see, what I'd love for us to present to people would not be the outward perfection of perfectly produced Christian lives, but the behind the scenes, the, the, the areas in our life where, man, I feel a little bit shook because I, I had worry in my life. But as I began to worship, Jesus has given me peace and joy, a peace that passes understanding, a joy that reaches beyond the, the extent of my vision, beyond the horizons. I have joy for what the future holds. The Bible says this, that the whole city was shaken. The whole city was stirred. I'm praying today for my city. I'm praying today for the cities that we serve as a church. I'm praying today for your city, that as an extension of your life of worship, the whole city would be stirred. In order for a city to be stirred, we need to obey the simple instructions of Jesus. Just because they're simple doesn't necessarily mean they're easy. But today, let's honor him as the Prince of Peace. Let's honor him as our great victor. We're, we're coming into the week of Easter, celebrating the, the most beautiful and tragic thing that's ever taken place, the, the scandal of God's grace that he would take the place for our sin. So those people look forward to Easter Sunday, not knowing what was coming. And we actually have the advantage to look backwards at it. So part of what we worship God for is not Lazarus, Bartimaeus, and Zacchaeus. It's his work on the cross, that he came to the cross and said, it is finished. And in doing so, extended to us life evermore. Telling you, I never want to get to a place where that doesn't stir me up. I never want to get to a place where I consider the grace of God and I'm not shook. Shook in all the good kind of ways. Today, I want to pray for you. Pray for you. Pray for my life that we would live lives of worship. Can we do that today? Jesus, I thank you right now for every person watching this. I ask that you would stir up in our hearts a desire to worship you more with what's common and what's costly. We're all going to live this way. We're all going to do this. And as we, we sing out Hosanna, as we cry out, God, save us. God, extend your mercy, grace, kindness, peace, love, compassion, freedom to our cities. I pray, Lord, as worship becomes intercession, that it would flow into evangelism. In fact, I'm asking right now for every person watching that we would have an opportunity this week to share the faith that we have in you, to share who you are in our lives. And if you're watching today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, let me pray with you a very simple prayer. You could pray this prayer and it would be the simple first step of living a life of freedom in relationship with God. Very simply, Lord Jesus, I give you my life today. I answer your call to me by repenting of my sin and receiving your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, before we go today, wherever you're watching from, I want to invite you, if you would, would you share the city you're watching from right now? I'm going to be praying this week, not just for the city that I live in or the cities that we serve, but I want to pray for your city as well, that by extension of you being there, your city would be shook. The second thing I want to remind us of is just how quickly our hearts can turn from Hosanna 
to crucify him. In fact, in just five days, as we celebrate Good Friday, we'll be reminded of the fact that many of the same people in the crowd who that day had laid down cloaks, they raised up fists and they, they got caught up in a moment where they turned on Jesus. I, I don't say this to condemn. I don't say this even, even just as like, beware, anything could happen. What I do say is this, that if we're not careful, we will be led completely by the emotions of the, the crew of people who are around us in the center of the craziness that is our life. Maybe like a city crawling with a couple million people in ancient Jerusalem. And in the center of it all, that we could maintain hearts of worship, not dictated to by what the crowd is saying, not dictated to by what is, is common around us, but instead seeing Jesus for who he is. He is our victorious, conquering king. And he conquers over sin, death, and the grave the peace that passes understanding. God, would you go with us this week in peace, in joy, and in love. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.